What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, July 16th. As the Cardinals got their weekend series against the Cincinnati Reds started on Friday night, the final series before the All-Star break coming up next week, and the Cardinals got the job done tonight beating the Reds 7-3. That's the way you like to start up a series against the bottom feeders of your division, of your league, no matter who they are. That's how the Cardinals need to play against the Reds, and they got it done on Friday night with a little bit of everything. Combination of doing enough against a pitcher who is very, very talented in Hunter Green, but still pretty raw as a rookie, and the Cardinals found ways to take advantage of that. We'll talk tonight about how the offense performed against the young phenom-to-be. I'm not going to call him a phenom yet, but I do think that down the road, Hunter Green can get there. But the Cardinals were able to, I think, use a little bit of his inexperience, the rawness about his game. They used that against him and sort of made Hunter Green beat himself in some ways tonight, as well as the rest of the Cincinnati pitching staff with the way that the Cardinals were able to get on base as frequently as they did. So we'll talk about that tonight. We'll talk about the start for Andre Pallante as well. Started out not very strong for him, but he was able to right the ship find a way to go long enough in this game to qualify for the win, which I know is maybe an antiquated stat, but I think for a guy like Andre Pallante, it's important. Sort of in the bottom of that rotation, number four, number five, however you want to view it, he's not one of the guys that you came into the season figuring he would be a mainstay in the starting five, and he's been in the role for a little while, and we're talking about trade deadline coming up over the next couple of weeks. How are the Cardinals going to approach it Could starting pitching be something that they pursue from outside the organization? I know you've got Steven Matz returning soon, and that could maybe shape the team's plans to some extent on how they want to handle outside acquisitions for the rotation. But you may not have a lot of time with him to really know what you can expect. And so Jumbo Zalak and company could be flying a little bit blind into this trade deadline period in terms of they're going to have to anticipate to some extent what the need is now versus what it's going to be down the road versus what it could be really two months down the road when you get into October and what the Cardinals roster looks like in terms of its playoff readiness. And Andre Pallante, I think, is at an interesting intersection within all of that because he was really good for you as a reliever at the beginning of the year. We've seen the bullpen go through times of trouble throughout the season where you have said, Cardinals need to go get a reliever to help the group that's already there. And I still tend to think that's the case as well. You might need a starter and a reliever. But you look at Pallante and think, well, gosh, he did so well in the bullpen. And I know he's had some good starts, but he's also had some clunkers now at this point. At least one really rough start and then a few so-so. I think tonight would fall into that category as well. So just taking a look at Pallante and what his value to the team has been in the variety of roles that he has served and maybe what the best fit for him could be going forward and how that could maybe impact the Cardinals at the deadline. We'll get into that tonight as well after he goes five innings, giving up three runs against the Reds. He does qualify for the win, though, as I mentioned, improving to three and four in his rookie season. And then we'll talk a little bit of bullpen. The good Hell's Bells coming in in the ninth inning, obviously a spot where the Cardinals, I know with with how careful they are about when they use him and how they use him, that's probably a spot where Ollie Marmel was hoping to avoid needing to bring in his de facto main closing pitcher 
in this game because it wasn't a safe situation at first. It was 7-3. to three. That's the final score of this game. But only because Helsley does the job that he's asked to do by coming in in a bit of a pickle and finding a way to get the Cardinals out of it there in the ninth inning, he locks it down for his eighth save of the season. But that comes after the bad that we have to talk about from the bullpen tonight, which was Henesis Cabrera, who didn't pitch particularly well, records two outs and gives up a couple of hits, but it was his reaction to leaving the game that was even more noteworthy than anything about the performance itself. Definitely some frustration there, and we'll talk about what that looked like, and I think a lot of people saw it. I commend the Valley Sports broadcast, even though they're sort of uh, the television arm of the team, right? The ownership has an ownership stake in the station, but did a good job there of showing what actually took place there with Cabrera. And both Brad Thompson and Danny Mac said, that can't happen. And I think they were both correct about that. And we'll share what Ollie Marmel had to say about the whole instance after the game as well. Getting into a little bit of the, the ugly, like I said, from the elements of the bullpen tonight. Some other good elements were Gio Gallegos and Jordan Hicks. That was good to see both those guys step in and, and do a nice job tonight in sort of the middle innings. They, they, they played the bridge role tonight, which is unusual for Gallegos, maybe a bit of a change. He seemed to have responded well to it, allowed a hit, but struck out the three batters that he got out tonight in an inning of work. So maybe that is a way that he's able to stabilize himself a bit moving forward. So we'll talk about all that, and we'll also step outside the Cardinals world a little bit. It's still kind of tangentially related to the Cardinals, but Clayton Kershaw had another pretty special outing going on Friday night, and that led one pretty well-known baseball writer on Twitter to make a statement about where he would go, the direction he would take with the starting pitcher for the National League in the All-Star game, which is coming up on Tuesday this coming week. I hear where he's coming from, disagree with it, and I'll tell you why as we get into this episode of B-Shape Daily. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so already. Spotify, Apple Podcasts are two great locations to find our show. We're talking Cardinals baseball all season long, and I'm going to take a quick aside here to make this note. I always invite people to direct message me. I'm at bshafer12 on Twitter. Follow me there if you haven't already. But I always invite people to send me direct messages with comments, questions pertaining to B-Shape Daily for the show. And... I sort of throw it in there, but I I do want to stress that I mean it, especially in this case where when I'm doing these podcasts, I tend to drone on and I've recognized that maybe I need to just pick a handful of topics per episode to discuss and then try to stick to it as best as I can with a little bit of deviation here and there. Because if you've listened to B-Shape Daily for a while now, you know it's inevitable that I'm going to find a tangent and run with it. But to give the show a little bit more focus and direction try to let you guys know where it's heading on a given day. But what that means is there may be some relevant topics that I end up forgetting. Like a couple of days ago, I knew that I wanted to mention Dylan Carlson making a great play in center field and continuing to look like a gold glover. I made the comment during that Dodgers series when people brought up the tweet by Molly Knight, who I guess she's a baseball writer, but I don't really know a lot about her background, but seems to be sort of tweeting about the Dodgers, so I don't know if she's a Dodgers fan or has that in her background or just as a Dodgers writer. I'm not entirely sure, actually. But she tweeted out, I don't know, it was early June, I think it was, something to the effect of that Cody Bellinger is the best defensive center fielder either in baseball or in the National League or whatever the tweet said. I'm not going to pull it up. 
but she was espousing some praise for Cody Bellinger defensively in center field. And, of course, Cardinals fans took off and ran with that when she tweeted it because Harrison Bader, I mean, if you look at the metrics and outs above average over the course of time, Harrison Bader blows out of the water pretty much everybody, but Cody Bellinger for sure over the course of time, which isn't to say that Bellinger isn't a good center fielder defensively, but he's certainly not the best, and she said it's not even close. And so people kind of piled on with that. And with the Dodgers playing in St. Louis, we saw that come up again this week when it was Dylan Carlson playing center field. And he's been absolutely fantastic. He has made good throws on this homestand, has made incredible catches on this homestand. In fact, ended Friday night's game with, it wasn't an incredible catch, but had to get back on a ball that kept carrying, carrying, carrying. Bases loaded. That could have tied the game with a grand slam. Instead, Dylan, sigh of relief for Cardinals fans, was able to hold in at the wall, dead straightaway center field. But I made the comment about Dylan Carlson and said, listen, Cody Bellinger isn't even the best center fielder to be sharing that patch of grass tonight in the stadium that he's playing in because the other half innings, it was Dylan Carlson playing center field, and he is a better defensive center fielder in my estimation than Cody Bellinger. And that's not to denigrate Cody Bellinger any more than I guess I already have because I actually do like Cody Bellinger. I wish he could hit still. Former MVP has just fallen off the map. I've got him on a fantasy team. I could certainly use him there. But it's more to praise the job defensively that Dylan Carlson does in center field. And I talked about it a little bit yesterday, and now I'm adding to it today. But two days ago, I think, is when I intended to talk about it, when the nice catch actually happened when he was sliding in shallow center field and made a good play. I made a note to talk about it, and then I realized after the podcast I didn't. And so my point is that's going to happen at times now that I try to take a little bit more of a focused approach of at least knowing what topics I want to cover coming into the podcast and trying as best as I can to stick to that so we're in and out of here in about 30 minutes. Usually that's my goal. Sometimes I succeed with it. Others I do not. But what that means is if I forget something or if you've got a question, just because I haven't talked about it doesn't mean it's not relevant in Cardinals baseball. I'm going to miss a lot. And I'm going to count on you, the listeners, to be like, hey, dude, how have you not brought this up yet? I'm really curious for your take on X, Y, or Z. And that's where you guys come in, at bshafer12 on Twitter. I'm serious, man. Let me know. Man or lady, whatever, whoever you are, let me know what you think. And if there's questions or concerns or topics that you would like me to bring up, just keep banging the door down. If I tell you, oh, yeah, I'll get to that, and then I don't, say, hey, doofus, you said you would get to it, and then you didn't. I'm, I'm pretty forgetful sometimes. That's my wife. So that's my little caveat before we really get into what took place on Friday night between the Cardinals and the Reds. I came into this game wondering, could the Cardinals get to Hunter Green? He's 3-10 and 10 on the season coming into Friday. 5.70 ERA, I believe, was the number on that. The guy's electric. He throws 100. He's He's been known for throwing the most amount of 100-plus pitches in a, in a game this season. I think he leads the league in, in that statistic because he's a starter who throws 100. So, like, when Jordan Hicks does it now, back in a relief role, he's not going to do it 35 times a game because he may not even throw 35 total pitches, and they're not all going to be fastballs. Hunter Green, I mean, this guy, when he can get deep into games, which doesn't happen often as a rookie, he struggled with command, happened a little bit tonight with the walks, and that's where the Cardinals were able to take advantage a little bit of his inefficiency and inexperience on the mound at the major league level. He's still kind of working his way through. But, man, the guy can be electric. And sometimes the Cardinals, it seems like it goes one of two ways. They either do what they did tonight where they punish 
a young pitcher like that for the mistakes that he makes. They have discipline. They pick their spots so that they're not basically succumbing to the whims of whatever he feels like he wants to do. If he wants to throw a nasty slider, you're going to chase it and you're done. If you want to take a high heater above the strike zone, you're going to chase it and you're done. The Cardinals found ways to avoid doing that for the most part tonight. Hunter Green did end up with six strikeouts. But that was kind of my question at the beginning of the game was, how will they handle this dynamic player who is still kind of finding his way in the league? And I think Cardinals fans can be proud of the answer to that question tonight. Five hits, drew three walks against Hunter Green across five innings, and St. Louis able to score four runs. And they were able to do it despite getting down 2 nothing in the top of the first inning with Pallante struggling a little at the beginning of this game. I like that the offense, they don't get floored by that. They don't get concerned. They just go out there and they do their job. They always say that's the goal, but it's good to actually see that in practice. And it did take place today. A couple of sacrifice flies in the bottom of the first inning. I really thought Nolan might have gone for a grand slam on his sacrifice fly, but it, it would have needed to carry another 20 or so feet. So that was that was my, my reaction was a classic sort of Wrigley Field reaction where I was like, oh, did he do it? Did he do it? Nah, not really very close. But he gets it done. Brendan Donovan gets it done. And so they could have maybe made Hunter Green pay a little bit more there, but they got the runs back. They tied the game, giving a, a little bit of fresh slate to Palante, which I think was valuable there for him. And they kept piling on. Dylan Carlson with an RBI double in the second inning. And then you get the home run from Nolan Gorman in the fourth, which, by the way, if you play bombs away, I know Cardinals Gifts does that. With I, I think Josh helps him out. Josh is not home, I believe, is his uh, his Twitter handle. And I decided I was going with Norm, which is Nolan Gorman, but I, I call him Norm. I don't. It just sounds right, Norman Gorman. That's what, like, that's what his name should be, but it's Nolan or whatever. So I go with Norm, and I was doing some math, and I thought, well, if they get some hits, whatever. Maybe about the fifth inning is is an inning that I can expect that Gorman will bat in, depending. And it's just kind of a guess when you get that deep into the game, who's going to be up in which inning. But I said, all right, we'll go Gorman. We'll go right field, obviously, because he tends to pull a lot of his homers as a left-handed batter. And we'll go fifth inning. And then sure as shooting, he comes up in the fourth and he drives one. I immediately log back onto Twitter and I say, I meant the fourth. I said fourth. I didn't. I said fifth. So no trifecta for me on bombs away. However... A nice swing by Gorman, his ninth of the year. He's got to continue to to have that power going. I think that's the value that he can bring to this team. I'd like to see him be well-rounded and that he's not just hitting homers. He can hit for doubles. He can take walks. But again, a young player who's not even scratching the surface at this point yet. So feel good about that. Him connecting against Hunter Green was good to see for the Cardinals and good to see just that kind of power versus power matchup. A lot of fun between two young guys in the game of baseball. But the Cardinals did enough against Hunter Green. I like what they did against the bullpen as well. Eight hits on the day for the Cardinals, as well as eight walks. Only three of those walks were Hunter Green's, but the Cardinals continued to grind against the Reds' bullpen. And I think that's part of the reason this Reds team, not very good, they don't have a very good bullpen. I mean, the Cardinals have dealt with not having a deep bullpen, but you had Buck Farmer, which don't spoonerize that name. Uh, You might get an FCC violation if you do. No reversing the letters on Buck Farmer. And then his ERA was close to six. You know, he gave up a run, a couple walks. The next guy, Kunell, six ERA. I don't know how to say these guys' names. Jabot, Jabot, I don't know. Two runs allowed. ERA is almost seven. Moretta, the last guy, ERA is seven. I mean, that's four guys that come into a game 
following a guy whose ERA is almost six, and their ERAs are all 5.87 or above. So that's, if you're wondering, boy, how are the Reds as bad as they are? I think you can probably start with that and work your way outward from there. Not a great bullpen. So good to see, though, that the Cardinals were able to treat them that way offensively and score seven runs, continue to add on throughout the game. They scored in four or five different innings. I don't know why I said four or five. I was counting as I was talking. They scored in five different innings. That's good to see for the Cardinals. Good to see for an offense that I know they've struggled. I know it's been ups and downs. But maybe this could be a weekend that they can sort of just unload against the Reds because of the nature of their pitching staff and and where things are for them. Good start to that effort on Friday night for the Cardinals. Let's go into Andre Pallante, though, a little bit here. I felt like this was an important start for Pallante in terms of what the rest of the year could look like for him. As I mentioned off the top, the Cardinals are obviously looking at their roster right now and trying to figure out where everybody fits and what needs to happen and and maybe where they need to go outside for some help. And I think the answer to that is almost everywhere. But we know John Mozeliak's history is not to be successful at the trade deadline with big splashes. He's going to go from the more understated moves. And sometimes they'll pan out and sometimes they will not. But I do think there are needs across this roster. You can look at several spots on this roster that have underperformed. A couple of spots in the bullpen, the lineup has been sort of up and down. We know that with injuries having taken place throughout the season, that hurts your depth offensively, and those aren't just going to go away. Injuries are never going to stop just because the trade deadline has passed. So, again, it's about anticipating what you might need, even if today you can look at things and say, well, when so-and-so and so-and-so come back, we won't really need anybody because we don't have any room in the lineup. You know, those are going to be our starters, and we're good. I, I still maintain that winning teams do not think that way. They recognize that depth is everything. It's king. You have to have good depth, not only in your bullpen, not only for your rotation, but your offense as well. Needs to have guys that can plug in just talented players. And it's good that a guy like Brendan Donovan can seemingly come off the street and walk in and be a really big producer for the Cardinals. Good to see him back. He had been ill for the last week or so, and I... I think he had played, but I don't know that he had started. I know he did tonight, though. Two for three, three RBIs. OPS now at 781 for him. And also, dadgummit, when I teased the top of the show, there was definitely one thing I forgot when I was talking about illness and guys being injured. I do need to bring up the two injured list additions that the Cardinals made on Friday before the game in Dakota Hudson and Juan Yepes and talk about that whole situation. So I've marked it down. Because in at least in the case of Dakota Hudson, it's almost a nothing burger. Not going to be a big deal. I don't know as much about Yepes. But for Hudson, at least, I, I can explain why he really should not be worried at all about his status and how that, like, I saw a lot of tweets that were kind of freaking out when the Cardinals made that announcement. And I guess that's just Twitter. I, I can't act like that's real life and that it represents the entire population of the fan base. But there may be some people out there that listen to this show that were like, yep, I saw that and thought, you might as well just throw in the towel because the Cardinals can't afford to lose another starter. They don't have the depth to cover that. Well, they they didn't, and I'll explain why after we kind of finish wrapping up with the, the conversation around this game from Friday night. But with Palante, I did think it would be an important start for him because if you're Mosellock and company and you're evaluating this roster, I think that's the player where you say, he is fulfilling his duties in the rotation right now, but if we had better options... Could he be helping the team even more in a different spot? 
And I've always said starting is more important than relieving for an individual player. If that player can start and relieve, I would rather him start if there's a need there because it's a more valuable role. You can't not have a fifth starter because, as we've seen, that has repercussions on the entire team. It hurts you that day because you probably didn't have a very good chance to win, but if you did, it's because your bullpen really bailed you out, but then they're tired for the next day and so on and so forth. So we can't dispute that it's very important to have good starters and good depth at those rotation spots. But I do think the trade deadline presents a unique opportunity to say, we can go grab a guy. We can pluck him out of thin air. Yeah, you got to pay for him in prospects, but those are probably not guys that are going to help you this year anyway, so you're not all that concerned about it. But we can pluck one of these guys out of thin air, and he can be a guy from a different team that goes seven innings, six innings every time he pitches. And suddenly, you have a different dynamic. You can afford to take Palante and say, would he be better served in the bullpen if we didn't absolutely need him in the rotation? And I think for him, at least in 2022, the answer might be yes to that question. I picture Andre Palante down the stretch. Let's say that Steven Matz comes back and he's great, and then the Cardinals trade for a starter, or they trade for two starters, or Libertor gets another shot, and then finally it clicks for him, whatever the case might be. And this may be a moot point because the Cardinals may not be willing to do what it takes to fortify their rotation to the extent that they can afford to move Palante to the bullpen. Like maybe Jack Flaherty comes back at the end of August. Maybe that's the way it happens. Whatever the case might be, I could just see a world where Palante in 2022, down the stretch, last two months of the season, could be kind of like Dakota Hudson 2018 when he was really effective out of the bullpen for the Cardinals. And the reason that we know that Palante could probably do this, it's a little bit cheating because Hudson really only came on around the trade deadline in 2018 coming up to the big leagues and, and being inserted into that role on a more permanent basis. In terms of Palante, he's already done it this year, right? At the beginning of the year, he was that kind of lockdown reliever. He really had elevated himself into the circle of trust and had done a nice job. Since then, they've needed him at the big league level as a starting pitcher. And so he's working through that. And I think someday he'll be a pretty good starter. I think he can be Dakota Hudson or better someday in the big leagues. But if you had five better starters than him, I think it elevates your bullpen and makes it pretty good. So I'm starting to see the light on that, but I will say I'm not trying to rip him out of the rotation after tonight. He he had a rough start, gave up a couple of runs out of the gate, but then the next four innings only gives up one run. Three walks is more than you want in five innings, but he danced around it. Five innings, three runs. The ERA, if that's your ERA, it's not pretty if you did that every time out, but if you did that literally every time and you never deviated, you give your team a chance to win every time you pitch. And I think that would be valuable despite what the ERA would say of 4.9 or whatever that would be. If you did that five innings, three runs without fail like a robot every time. So it's not perfect, but I think it's passable. But the Cardinals maybe should be striving for better than passable if they're wanting to lock down the NL Central. Which, by the way, something else that I didn't mention that should be talked about at length in a podcast. And so maybe I find further time to get into it this weekend, or maybe I just do what I so often do and deviate right now. Nolan Arenado made some interesting comments on Thursday night, didn't he? About the nature of winning the division versus a wild card and what should be acceptable and what should be the target for the Cardinals. Nolan Arenado shared these thoughts with a few writers. Derek Gould was among them. I was not at the ballpark on Thursday, and so uh, full credit where it's due, I was not involved in this. But Arenado decided that 
maybe last night was an opportunity to solidify his belief, which is maybe probably not news to anybody, but his belief of what the expectations are in his mind. And this is from Derek Gould's story at the stltoday.com. Definitely recommend reading it from Thursday night. He said, absolutely, you want to win the division. I don't want to win the wild card anymore. Obviously, you get to the playoffs, it's great. If we get in, great. But you want to win the division. It's important to win the division. I've never won it. I would like to be a part of that. He went on to add, there's some things we need. It feels good when you add. We're not out of it. We're in it. I think that's what's most important. We're still in this thing. A few pieces here or there definitely go a long way, you know? And so these are the kinds of subtle nods that you're going to see from a star player that I think is about as demonstrative, though, as it's going to get. Like, it sounds pretty subtle. Like, yeah, it's good to add players. What's it, what's it to you? But I think that's about the most you're going to hear because anytime a player, an active player, goes and says, yeah, we need help, we need some outside help right now from our front office, and they wave that flag, well, they're basically saying to you, you, you in the locker room, you're not good enough and we need to replace you. And so Nolan Arenado, great veteran teammate, is not going to say that, but he just kind of subtly says, yeah, I mean, it it would be good to have some help. And I think that's really interesting. I do think there's something to be said for in 2022, the division, especially the central, if you're not going to be better than the winner in the East or the West, winning the central division maybe isn't as big of a deal as it used to be because you're still in that stupid first wildcard round despite being a division winner. Only two buys in the new playoff format, which will see the three division winners and then three wildcards from each league. Two of the wild cards, the four and the five seed, will square off against one another. But then the final division winner, which is looking like it's going to be the central based on the standings, they're going to have to play a wild card series against the number six seed, which is the third wild card. So no matter what, you pretty much are going to be locked into that first three game series, a best of three, I should say. Granted, you get to play the three games at home or the two games, depending on how long the series go you would get to play that at home as the three seed against the six seed in the new format. But you're pretty much locked into it unless somebody from this division is passing the Dodgers or the Mets, which I don't foresee happening. So while I do agree with the sentiment that, yeah, you should want to win the division, it actually has never meant less if you're the third best division winner from a league, whether in the NL or the AL, it doesn't matter. But the other part of that is, I think what underscores Arnado's thoughts there is, Teams that do win the division are more capable of making it further when they get into the playoffs because they've got more of the pieces that they need. So not only do they really want to win the division, I think what goes unsaid there is we want to be able to win enough that we can do some damage when we get to the playoffs. And if we don't win the division, you know, what's going to make you think that we have the horses to be able to to get hot and win it all? Granted, it's possible to do, but it's certainly more difficult to do. And so I think that was just a subtle way for Nolan Arenado to say, gosh, it would be nice if we got some help, give a little boost to this clubhouse and say, hey, we believe in you and we're going to add to this group because we think it can go places. What I don't think he's saying there, by the way, is, hey, if you don't add and we don't make the playoffs, I'm opting out. I'm gone after the end of the season because he does have that additional opt-out following this year. Folks, he's not using it. I don't even, don't even worry about it. It's fine. Arenado, he doesn't want to leave. He wants to build a winner here. I don't anticipate the philosophical differences, whatever of those that may exist, 
I don't anticipate that being a situation where, like Mike Schilt, he's gone from the organization. And by the way, he wouldn't be getting fired like Mike Schilt was. Nolan Arenado would be able to leave of his own volition. I just don't think he wants to. So if you read those stories or heard those comments from yesterday and thought, oh boy, what does this mean? I'm My stance on it is no. Take that for what it's worth. And if I'm wrong in October, you can throw tomatoes at me. And that'll be at least fun for you guys to have that opportunity. I wouldn't worry too much about it, but I do think it's interesting to see a star player like that speak out and say, hey, we could use some help. That's something I wish I would have teased off the top of the show. If I were better at this, I would have. But since I realized, yeah, I need to talk about this, uh, I went ahead and did. But I said what I wanted to say about Palante for the most part, I think. So let's go ahead and jump into the remainder of the bullpen so we can roll on with the podcast here. I mentioned Helsley. He was great. Uh, Good to see from him. Can't pitch him every night, as we learned the other day, if you missed that whole deal on B-Shave Daily from the Cardinals' really difficult loss on Wednesday. We'll go on back and listen. It was a a grand old time. Talked to Helsley, talked to Ollie Marmel. A lot of good quotes in there, a lot of good audio. Definitely check it out for some uh, the quick and dirty tips to bullpen management, I would say. Learned a lot. But what that meant was he didn't pitch the other night and he pitched today, and it's a good thing because they needed him today. Because, whoa, cabbie. Cabby, cabby, cabby. Let's talk about it. Not a great night for Genesis Cabrera. The moment that everybody's going to talk about after he gave up the couple of hits, as I mentioned, Ollie Marble decided, all right, before you get a chance to get yourself out of this, I'm taking the ball out of your hands and we're going with Helsley. We're going to try to lock this thing down here. Important game. We got to have it. Didn't want to have to go to him tonight, but we're going to do it if it means that I can be confident we're going to win. Because right now the Cardinals have one lockdown reliever. It's pretty much it. Like Packy Naughton, he's a great fireman. But in terms of guys that it's the ninth inning, game's on the line, and you got to have it, it's pretty much Helsley. And we've learned you don't get him every day. So that's where it gets a little tricky. And it's unfortunate that Cabrera was not able to assert himself in that way tonight. It's not to say that he's not still part of that late-inning mix, but this was a night where you really wanted him to get the game finished and, and to bring it home. He wasn't able to do that, and then when he found out that the uh, manager was coming out to get him. He had a reaction to that. He kind of flipped the ball toward Ollie Marmel, kind of off his own chest and glove a little bit, but the impact was it kind of brushed off the manager as well. And the manager did more than brush off Hennessy's Cabrera. Put his arm out like he was a turnstile and pushes Cabby back and says... Not so fast, my friend. He does a Lee Corso. Hold on now. Wait a second now, buddy. We're going to have to talk about this. And the broadcast picked it up, as I mentioned. I mean, they replayed it, too, after the commercial break. The television broadcast did. And they said, yeah, that's not something you can do. That's not good. You don't throw the ball to your manager. You don't leave the mound before he's gotten a chance to give you whatever words of wisdom he wants to. Not a good look for Cabby. So here's what Ollie Marmel had to say about it after the game. End of the day, he's a little frustrated with how the last couple of days have gone. Um, at the same time, your ego can't get in the way of being a professional. I've known him a long time. He'll be just fine. Yeah. What did you say to him as you, as you grabbed him before he came off? He'll be just fine. <laughs> and I think it was mistaken there. What Cabby did was he spiked the ball off the mound. I was watching it as we were listening to Ollie Marmel there. And he spiked it off the mound. It bounced right up, though, and landed, like, right in front of him, right off of his chest. 
at which point Ollie turnstiles him and then spins him around, says, hold on now, partner, get back on the mound. Let me speak with you real quick, and then we're good. And I really like there Rick Hummel asks, you know, what'd you say to him? And he says, you'll you'll be just fine. <laughs> like, like uh, you're, we're, I'm not telling. I'm The world will never know what I said to him. Uh, only the folks that were on the mound with an earshot, which was probably, you know, with an earshot at that point could have been people in the 10th row behind the dugout because I would imagine he was pretty peeved at the moment. But then you saw Albert Pujols talking with him after he got back to the dugout. And Ollie continued to talk about that with the veteran leadership of the team in a situation like this. Listen, the kid's a competitor. He wants to be in there. You, you can't fault him for that. I want him to have the mentality of, of wanting the ball there and not coming out. Um, but there's a way you go about it. And we have a good veteran group that will address it. Um, and we'll handle it internally, but it'll, it'll, it'll be okay. Audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest on that one from their Twitter page. Yeah, that's uh, not a situation that I think any of us expected to see tonight, but I do think it'll end up being just fine. Internally, they'll handle it. Cabrera is one of those young players that he's emotional. He plays with emotion, and that can be a positive for sure when things are going well. When things aren't going well, you have to be able to rein it in a little bit, and I don't think this is going to be anything that lingers. You already saw Albert there talking with him in the dugout. I, I don't think this this is going to be a problem, but it certainly was a moment that took you, took you aback as they say in that situation today with Cabrera. But you know, if that's the worst thing that happens in a Cardinals seven, three win, then I guess you'll take it as the Cardinals get the win tonight over the reds beating up on the, the losers of the division. That's kind of what you got to do. They'll have a couple more chances to do it the rest of this weekend before they head on to the all-star break. Let's talk about this real quick, the Cardinals' injury updates before I get into the Kershaw thing. Dakota Hudson goes on the injured list on Friday, and next strain is what the team announces as the ailment. Zach Thompson returns as the corresponding move. Elsewhere, Juan Yepes with a right forearm strain goes on the IL. Lars Newtbar is back. Those are the transactions. Here's why the Hudson one, and I don't know much about the Yepes one, I think he might have hurt the forearm on the assist he had from the outfield last night, the throw that he made on Thursday. But as far as Hudson, here's why I'm I'm not concerned. If you look at the schedule, they play three more games. I'm counting today's game Friday because this was news that I was dissecting prior to Friday's game. They put him on the IL. It's a 15-day injured list for pitchers. They play three games in three days, and then you have the All-Star break. Don't play for four days. Okay, now that's seven already. And then next week encompasses the Toronto series. There's an off day on either side of that. And so you really won't need a fifth starter at any point the rest of July if you wanted to do it that way. But certainly you won't need one prior to the end of the Toronto series. And I think he'll be eligible to return on like July 30th, which is shortly after that. So I think he's going to be probably fine. I think this is an instance of, you know, the Dodgers did it a lot when it was the 10-day IL for pitchers. They would say, oh, he's got a sore uh, toenail and he's going to need to be out for a little bit. But it was really just resting him. And then you could churn through your bullpen, churn through arms to be able to be stocked and ready and loaded at all times. Well, guess what? We got our wish. Zach Thompson's back. And Dakota Hudson is a starting pitcher who wasn't going to pitch anyway this weekend because he just pitched on Thursday. So that's really all this. I'd be surprised if it was anything more than that. You might think next strain and go, oh, my gosh, why would they let him pitch through that? 
guys, everybody's going through something this time of year. Everybody's going through something. And uh, his neck's probably a little sore. I don't doubt it. I'm sure it is. Uh, if it was any other circumstance, would he be able to pitch through from a physical standpoint? I haven't talked to him about it, but I'm willing to bet the answer is yes. So that's my short answer for don't worry about it. I don't know as much about Yepes because, and really I don't know as much about Hudson. This is mere speculation, but I I think it's probably pretty grounded. I I bet you see him just as soon as he's eligible to come off the IL. I bet you, you see that happen with Yepes though. You hope that he didn't hurt the forearm too bad on that, that throw. But again, it could just be a case of hey, Lars Newpar's been hitting well. Yepes is a little sore. It might be a couple days. And guess what? We've only got a couple days, and then it's the All-Star break anyway. So only a 10-day IL for players. So Yepes really doesn't have to miss more than this series, pretty much. And you get Newt Barr back, who'd been hitting well. He'd actually had the five-game hitting streak before going to the minors, seven for his last 14 prior to Friday. So I think that's perfectly fine. Hopefully Yepes will be available shortly after the All-Star break as well, and, and no harm done. That's ideally the way this goes. So that's going to wrap it up on the Cardinal stuff. Let me, because I've teased it enough, get to what Kershaw did on Friday and how it caused me to disagree with John Heyman, the uh, national baseball insider. I know you you guys probably all have seen him on Twitter. He's he's out there. He's got sources and, and is always uh, reporting news from a national standpoint. Kershaw had a no-hitter in a perfect game going into the eighth inning tonight. Gave it up to Rangifo of the Angels. And it was right after I had turned the game on my MLB TV. So I was like, sorry, Clayton. I think I blew it for you. That's my bad, bro. But then John Heyman tweeted this out after Kershaw finished up eight innings of scoreless baseball, but no no hitter and no perfect game. Heyman said, okay, convinced Kershaw should start the All-Star game. And I thought, isn't Kershaw in the National League? And doesn't Sandy Alcantara still exist? I have questions. And so I did a little bit of digging. And then I tweeted this out. Sandy Alcantara hasn't had a start where he went fewer than seven innings since May 6th. That stretch spans 13 straight starts. His ERA is close to half a run lower than Kershaw's, 1.76 to 2.13. And Sandy, by the way, pitched on Friday night as well. He also went eight innings. He didn't go scoreless. He gave up a couple of runs and therefore took the loss because the Marlins are stupid and he would have such a better record and would be a superstar. I mean, he is a superstar, but he'd be actually considered it if he was in any other city with any other offense backing him up. But even after a couple of runs, oh, by the way, Sandy struck out 12 tonight. Ridiculous. But even after two runs over eight innings, his ERA is 1.76. Kershaw's is 2.13, which is really good, but it's 0.37 higher than Sandy's, who is also in the National League, deserving of consideration to be that all-star game starter. And here's the thing that gets me that really solidifies it for Alcantara, if you're just comparing the two. I said his ERA was close to half a run lower than Kershaw's. I maybe fudged a little bit there, 0.37. But that's certainly lower, not quite a half a run, but I said close to, so we'll call it good. But in nearly double the innings pitched, 138 in a third innings pitch for Alcantara, which is a pace of probably better than 250 at this rate. 138 innings compared to 71 and two-thirds for Kershaw. I know Kershaw's been on the IL a little bit, I think, and so he's been up and down. 
but the Iron Man nature of what Alcantara has done, 13 games in a row for him, 13 starts since May 11th it began, where he's gone at least seven innings. He has been an absolute workhorse, an Iron Man, and I get it, the game's in Los Angeles, it's at Dodger Stadium, and Clayton Kershaw is one of the greatest Dodger pitchers of all time. And don't, don't worry, I didn't say the greatest because I know there have been some damn good ones in the past, but he's up there. I mean, you look at what he's done. He is on that list. He's on that Mount Rushmore of Dodgers pitchers at the very minimum. And he may be near the front of the mountain as far as that goes. And so maybe he gets the start because it's a Dodger stadium and it's an exhibition and who cares. But man, Sandy Alcantara has earned that. He's been so, so good. And Cardinals fans, I don't know why I'm telling you this because you're already sad that he's not on the team. So, sorry guys. Kind of a somber way to end the podcast. Here's one way I'll, I'll maybe brighten your day a little bit. The other show I do, the radio show in Columbia, Missouri, KTGR Big Show with myself and Andy Humphrey. You can find that podcast on Spotify. And I recommend, you don't even have to listen to the whole thing, but if you want a really good laugh, there was a, a situation where my co-host nearly read a, you know, the parody tweets that pop up and sometimes you get got, you retweet it and you didn't, you said, oh, that's not what I thought it was. That, that's a nobody just making a joke. At the end of the show on Thursday, he began to read one of those tweets and stopped himself. And then on Friday's show, we rehashed the entire thing at the end of the program. If you check out the big show, KTGR podcast on Spotify, and skip to like 20 minutes to go in the episode, I'm telling you, it will be worth your time for a laugh. I could, I was laughing so hard, I had tears in my eyes. It's not Cardinals related. It's actually kind of college football related, Big 12 college football primarily, But uh, and, and we're making fun of Nebraska. So if you're a Nebraska fan, don't check that out. But yeah, you know what? Since I was ending on such a somber note, just reminiscing about when the Cardinals had Sandy Alcantara, I figured I would give you that. So if you want to laugh, if you need to uh, turn that frown upside down, that's the way to do it. Big Show Podcast on Spotify. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Look at that. I've gone over 40 minutes again because I am a chump. But I appreciate you guys for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.